This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids. Hi, everybody. Welcome to part three of my conversation with Lindsay. So I'm not familiar with Airbnb experiences. Is that something that they post on their website or is that just something you're calling Airbnb experience? No, that is a part of Airbnb. Most of the time people use it for, you know, there's like you can take a cooking class, you can go on a kayaking trip, you can do painting or, you know, food tours, stuff like that. It's it's actually a, a pretty big thing. I got introduced to it when I when I took a food tour in Thailand once. And I was like, this is, you know, this is a really excellent platform. And that's where all of my signups have come from. Almost no one has, has reached out to me through Meetup that way, uh, which I was kind of surprised at. But but Airbnb is, I don't know, because I, I also run the, I also have a rental Airbnb, like a, a residential place. And as a, as a host, it's definitely a different, <laughs> a different experience running a, an Airbnb experience as opposed to a residential rental. Airbnb is much, much more stringent about what they allow and like the, you know, picture quality and everything that you put on there has to, there's a waiting period to get every, everything approved. And then to change it, you need to go through that same waiting period again. And yeah, they're not, they're not always flattering about the pictures that they, that they select to post. And just, you get it. I got a lot of rejections as far as, you know, photos and, you know, any kind of marketing thing that I wanted to put up there. Um, and I don't know, I've never run a different one, so I don't know if that's a normal experience or just had to do with, with my content specifically. That's interesting. I wonder if it is a, a content issue, but for all the listeners out there who are possibly, you know, like the light bulb is going off and they're like, oh, I can do that too locally and try to reach more people. What would you suggest, how should they take their first step if they want to create something similar to that where they are? First and foremost, you need to make sure that you have good content to offer. I mean, really, really make sure that you're, that what you're communicating to people is, is relatable, is understandable, is not too technical. That's really easy. That's a really easy hole to get stuck down if you're, you know, if you're really involved in the community. I've had to, you know, kind of tell myself and make sure that I'm scaling that back. Because you do, you need to kind of remember where you started and, and meet people where they are. Because there's a lot of people that are, you know, this is this is a scary new world. And, you know, what makes what makes Bitcoin not for criminals or, you know, not for nefarious activities? What makes it not dangerous? What makes it so that it can't be stolen from me? And like, you know, all of those reasons are, are very, very real in the beginning. And you need to kind of keep that in mind. So, yeah, first, first things most important is make sure that you're that when you do have an audience that it's going to hit home that it's going to be relatable approachable non you know non offensive and that you're not coming on too strong as far as finding a platform i think that i think that podcasting seems to be the one that has really taken off so if you have the technical capability to do that that seems like a really good avenue Airbnb experiences, it, you know, it's working for me and I don't have, like I said, I can't do this, this full time. So it, it only being, you know, every couple months or so like that, that works fine for me. If you're looking to do it more, you know, more often than that, I'm not going to say that it's a bad venue. I'm not, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it's me, maybe I'm just interacting with it poorly or there's something that they don't like about, you know, my particular content. I don't, I don't know. And if, I don't know, I think that for meetup, if you're in an if you're in a more urban area, I think meetup works great. But it's not quite so much if you're in the boonies. 
Yeah, thank you very much for those tips. Um, so you were talking about meeting people where they are and keeping things as non-technical as possible. And so you told me about a few analogies that you use that people can really connect with. Can you give us one of those? Yeah. So in addition to the, you know talking about the the grocery store employee kind of analogy for inflation, I also like to touch on CBDCs in my class, um, kind of more towards the end just because I think it's really important to kind of contrast the, the world of Bitcoin and the, the current state of affairs and where that's headed. So CBDCs, they are central bank digital currencies. You're probably going to hear more about them if you haven't already on the news. There's the whole release of the, the Fed now thing, which is, I believe, live, which is kind of the infrastructure for an eventual U.S. CBDC. But like the current existing CBDC benchmark that you can look at is China, and they have their CBDC is live as a pilot in a few parts of the country. So I kind of like imagine that you are, you know, a middle-aged woman and you happen to be a diabetic and, you know, you have a, a regular job, not high income, and you have a bank account. Traditionally, if you put money in your bank account, you earn a little bit of interest on it. And right now it's almost nothing. I mean, it's, you know, 0.02 or something, you know, negligible. But with a CBDC, now it can be a negative interest rate. The bank is charging you to hold that money. But with the CBDC, you can't pull it out. You can't stuff cash under your mattress anymore. You have to have them hold it. So you don't have, you have no way of escaping that negative interest rate if they decide to charge you that. And that negative interest rate, because you can't pull it out, you don't have a way to defend yourself from it, it can be increased. You know, they could say that, you know, we're going to send out stimulus checks to your bank account. But the catch is if you don't spend it within the next three months, 30% of it is going to be is going to be gone. They can do it allows a lot of tools that have never existed before to be implemented. And now say that you are that that middle-aged woman you happen to be a diabetic. Your money, if it's fully electronic like that, can be tied to your medical record. So if you are a diabetic, they can have it set up so that your money is programmed so that it doesn't work. You cannot purchase a, you know, a bar of candy that has more than 15 grams of sugar or so. Even if that bar of candy is for your granddaughter, they can make it so that money can be can be given new rules for everyone or for individuals who meet specific criteria. Or if you're, say, an activist that um, you know is is protesting a cause that that rubs the government or authorities the wrong way, I mean they can turn off your ability to buy a tomato. <laughs> like. It's really difficult to keep protesting if you can't if you can't feed yourself if your money doesn't work anywhere. Or another thing that they can do that they could program into this would be the ability to have your money only work within, say, you know, a two mile radius of your home. So it's like you can't travel, you can't, you know, you can't continue to to protest this cause or or whatever it is that they, you know, whatever activity that they don't like that you're doing. It just it strips all of the freedoms that you were used to with cash. Another thing about it is, you know, let's leave let's leave the the middle-aged woman analogy and let's jump to say you're a college student or a high school student and you want to make some extra money because you want to go mow lawns in your neighborhood for the summer. You know, you charge 20 bucks a lawn or something like that. Now every single one of those transactions, it's not cash anymore, it can't be. It has to be through this electronic CBDC. All of those transactions are tracked. All of them are taxable. And it's like they're it just it completely removes any sort of you know any ability to be anonymous and you know there's 
there's kind of an attack on on privacy right now as if privacy is something something nefarious in and of itself you know they say that if you don't have if you don't have anything to hide you're fine well i bet that everyone listening to this has curtains on their windows and it's not because they have something to hide it's because they don't want to reveal themselves to the world all the time and you shouldn't have to there's nothing wrong with paying a high school kid 20 bucks to mow their lawn and not sending the government their 12 cents or, you know, their $1 or whatever cut out of that. Like, that's not that's not a crime, and it shouldn't be. And CBDCs are a, are a really insidious way to bring out a whole a whole new world of, of control and surveillance um, that, that no, one, uh, no one here has ever experienced. You know, that's something that, that is a pilot program in China, and, and so far it's looking pretty dystopian. If, if George Orwell could see it, he would have written a, uh, an even scarier book. I think when, when people talk about CDBC, the story that hits home the most for me is just the example that I've heard about our grandma. You know how grandmas just like to give you know a dollar or five dollars or something to their grandkids like when you go to the grocery store get a pack of candy or something they now if in that new system they can't even give their grandchild that pocket money anymore you know it, it's the sign of affection becomes something official that is taxable <laughs> even in that casual interaction yeah well uh, i think one of the one of the arguments you would hear against that is you know oh there would be a there would be a minimum you know threshold or whatever you know it's six hundred dollars or whatever anything under that is it's not going to be taxed, but I don't know. I hear that kind of argument. And I'm just like, you know, I, I bet you they thought that way in China. I bet you they think that way, or they used to think that way in like North Korea and stuff. Like when, if there is a power able to be corrupted, it will be. And, you know, to get things, to get things started, it's, you know, it's going to be all, all painted about how, you know, how convenient it is and how safe and secure it is and how, you know, criminals will have, you know, a really hard time. But that sounds really scary when, when they get to decide who criminals are and you know if a criminal is someone who mows four lawns and you know they they've broken the threshold of how much how much income they're allowed to have without without having to pay taxes like that's that starts to get into a to a really dystopian kind of a world thanks for joining us today and learning with us today if the discussion with our guest resonated with you and you would like to dive deeper into the world of bitcoin don't miss out on joining the orange hatter women's reading club the meetup link is in the show notes. Also, if there are women in your life whom you think would both enjoy and benefit from learning more about Bitcoin, please share Orange Hatter with them. Until next time, bye!